Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our third True Crime Digest. I think these might be my favorite to record. I think so. Yeah, it's a lot of interesting content all in one. Yeah. And also, we do a lot of like intense research on a topic and then move on from it really often. And so I like going back to stuff every once in a while. So today we're going to cover the murder trial of George Floyd and the conviction of Derek Chauvin, the murder of Linda Stolfus. We're also going to do Laurie Vallow and Chad Daybell updates. As well as we're going to talk about Taryn Summer, Taylor Summer, and Tristan Sexton, who are three siblings. And it's a very interesting and sad story. But it's also in Idaho, which has made some folks perk their ears up because it's a little bit reminiscent of Vallow, just in like missing kids. So that's what we've got on the menu for today, if you will. It's a decent amount. Big menu. So we're going to start with the murder trial of George Floyd. In case you've lived under a rock, we're going to go over briefly what happened, and then we're going to talk about the very good news of the conviction. So George Floyd was murdered after he was arrested by police, and then a video surfaced that a bystander had taken that shows very clearly Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck while Floyd was face down, which is also called being prone, for nine minutes and 29 seconds. It's a hard watch. It's a hard watch, but it's an important watch because when you hear people talk about race in America, it's like this is happening. So you can't say racism doesn't exist because this is happening. Almost daily. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm hearing with more frequency that there are Black people being murdered with routine interactions with police. And that's not the world we should live in. That's not why police exist in America. They shouldn't be killing people, generally, anyone at all. So let's talk a little bit about George Floyd. So Floyd was arrested after he bought cigarettes, allegedly with a $20 counterfeit bill. And we didn't see whether the bill was counterfeit or not. I still can't find it. Yeah. Here's why I hope that's an easy question to answer. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, it truly doesn't because that's not a death sentence for using counterfeit money. Yeah, counterfeiting money in America is not a death sentence, nor should it be anywhere. But but even if it was, it would not be police and neither would be a trial. We're innocent until proven guilty in our country. That is the legal standard that's set forth for our criminal system. What the fuck is this then? Like, this shouldn't happen. And for most crimes, I feel like I would have the same mentality. It's a jury of your peers. It's a, a fair and just trial trial. So before George Floyd died, body cam footage shows other officers on the scene. There's an officer coming who was mocking George Floyd. There's also another officer who said, quote, this is why you don't do drugs, kids, because he was like clearly in distress and acting like he was. So it feels reasonable that you would act not just calm if you were being murdered. All four police officers that were involved were fired. The other officer that I haven't mentioned yet, his name is Thomas Lane. So for the court case itself, this was Minnesota's first live broadcast, and that was because of COVID, but it offered a a deeper look than most people normally get into court cases in Minnesota, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it was a good learning opportunity for many, many people. 
Yes. And so Chauvin's defense attorney argued that the force was reasonable, that bystanders distracted Chauvin when he, when he was like subduing Floyd and that George Floyd died from other causes. I'm sorry, you have to be able to do your job with a crowd. A lot of police work very crowded situations on a fairly common basis. If a group of bystanders can distract someone to the point of killing someone, then yeah, it's you're not fit for that job or your training was garbage. Exactly. So Chauvin invoked his Fifth Amendment right to not testify. It's very common. It's common. And it's, it's a good part of our justice system that you can say, like, I actually choose to remain silent. But so five different medical experts testified that he died of positional asphyxia. And if you listen to our episode last week on Kendrick Johnson, that's what he was originally deemed as dying from was positional asphyxia. And so Chauvin was convicted of second degree unintentional murder, third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. That third degree murder charge included the jury's instruction, like the actual charge itself and its depraved mind is included in there. And so sentencing is in about two months. He could get up to 40 years for second degree murder, up to 25 years for third degree murder, up to 10 for manslaughter. In Minnesota, sentencing guidelines recommend 12.5 for each murder charge and four for manslaughter, but the state has asked for tougher sentencing. And from the many articles that I've read, keep in mind, he was wearing a mask, but that there was no apparent reaction. He didn't seem surprised or shocked or scared. Yeah. He was just like stoic, which I feel like is creepy. You can remain stoic when someone's saying that you have three different murder charges, but you couldn't handle yourself in a crowd. Mm, Yeah, that's fair. So the three other officers trials are set to start in August. Experts think that it's very likely that they'll all plead guilty and that it's possible that if there's plea bargains on the table, they might try to take them. So when you think about true crime, I don't know about you, Amanda, I generally think of like serial killers and missing unsolved and that kind of thing. And we don't often talk about police killings in the context of true crime. And I think that's because When you think about police killings, it's thought about like they're done as a part of someone's job, right? Like while they're working on their job. Yeah, you think self-defense or something like that. Yes. And so one of the good things to come from this trial is the idea that we're working towards a different mindset when it comes to police killings. Yeah. And holding people accountable for their actions. Yes. Yeah, and holding police accountable for their actions. Mm-hmm. Per the Supreme Court currently, cops can be legally justified in using force, even lethal, if they even perceive a threat. And state laws vary. But the question here is whether their perception of the threat is reasonable. And I'm not a police officer, just like I'm not a scientist. So I'm not going to act like I know what the stresses are like. But if you're looking at the totality of the circumstances, it's problematic that a person being black seems to be one of the variables that is weighing in people's minds. So there are approximately 1,000 police shootings in the U.S. every year. And the arrest rate on average isn't higher than 2% ever. And there are times when a lethal use of force is important to use. I've talked to people who work in law enforcement in the past and I have said, like, why don't why don't they just shoot like someone's knee? Right. Like, why don't you just like incapacitate the person? And the person told me, which it, it just didn't even occur to me. They were like, if you are discharging your weapon, you should only do so to kill the other person so that they stop. Like That should be your last thing you do. And when you say like, oh, shoot the gun out of their hand or shoot their leg so they stop, you start then using your gun for more things other than the last resort. And I was like, that's interesting, but still highly alarming. Well, it is interesting in that sense. They have an order, right, of what they should use before they get to that last step then, I would think. 
I would imagine. I think this is just an important note. The police do have a role in our country. They do. And it's to a place is getting robbed. They show up, right? Something is stolen from you. Your car is stolen. You report it to them. Someone is murdered. They investigate that crime, right? These are all like big, important things. They also do a lot of social work functions. Like they deal with homeless people a lot, right? They deal with different community policing roles. And so when you hear the term, and this might be a phrase that when you hear it, it makes you clench, defund the police. Usually it does not mean get rid of the police. It means use police for what police should be used for and train them for the core functions that they're going to serve. Because right now we are asking I mean, just across the board, police departments to do too much. No one's aligned either. No one's aligned. And also, I mean, like, think about this, right? If you had, let's take like a non-divisive kind of role. Let's take a high school teacher. If you take a high school teacher and you ask them to be the school nurse, the principal, the security guard, the janitor, and to teach your child how to do calculus. That's too much. It's too much. And one of these is not going to do well, right? Like, you're going to have to lean somewhere. Yeah. And not everyone treats their law enforcement that way either. In other countries, they're not expected to do all that in their one job description. And it's kind of unfair of us to ask that. Yeah, it's unfair. There's a problematic history of police in America. It's possible that we could have a policing system in our country that is actually for everyone and is actually not harmful and not hurting people. Right. At the end of the day, property doesn't matter as much as lives. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we need to remember that. It's a hard concept for a lot of people. It's a hard concept. And I hear some people go like, oh, but, you know, X person had drugs. They had stolen something. They had done this. They had done that. And I'm like, did they deserve to die? As a morality question, did that person deserve to die? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. And then if they're like, they shouldn't do crime, which silly. Right. Or they have a history of crime is the one that I hear a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay, they have a history of crime. Do you not believe in our justice system? Do you not believe that America has a wonderful justice system that is fantastic and robust? Are you unpatriotic? Is that what you're telling me right now? That you don't believe our system can work? Because right now you sound unpatriotic. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Anywho. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there is a way. There's a way that things can be changed. And it takes a lot of people and a lot of effort and a lot of education. And a lot of everyone broadening their minds. Yeah. Thought process. Yeah. So hopefully this is a step towards holding police accountable for excessive force and the use of force towards marginalized communities, most notably the black community. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. This can be a good turning point. Okay, so our next topic, the murder of Linda Stolfus. So this is an older case that recently gave a family some closure. So the case is the disappearance of Linda Stolfus. And it happened back in June of 2020. And Linda was an 18-year-old Amish girl from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. She originally disappeared on her way home from church. So I was trying to just dive into her day to day a little bit. And I guess where they attend church is at a local farm. And it was along Stumptown Road. She left church around 1230. And her plans were to go home to change from her like formal church clothes to some clothes to wear to her youth group that she'd be attending afterwards. And then she was just going to go to the youth group meeting. 
Youth group normally started at around 2.30 p.m. and ended at 11 p.m. That's busy. That's a long time. And that was right. I felt like that was a very long time for youth group, but she seemed happy. So she was going to attend that at one of the local farms nearby. Now, her walk home from church was about 19 minutes long. It was about a mile away and it, her home was located on Beachdale Road. So not not terribly far, but it was a bit of time to get home. So what happened is she clearly never returned home from youth group, right? So when her father went into her room, he noticed that her formal clothes were still missing. So it just meant she never made it home to change and she wouldn't normally wear those clothes to youth group. So around 2 a.m. is when he notified her as missing. He called the police. Police at first, we hear this a lot, thought she ran away. But this time it's a little different. The reason they thought she might have ran away is because now she was over 18 and maybe she was fleeing the Amish lifestyle. So, Amanda, have you encountered the Amish in your life? Don't really have. I don't think we have any in Arizona. They wouldn't want to live here. You know, I couldn't live in Arizona now. So if I didn't have air conditioning, it's an extra no for me. We have Amish furniture stores. But I don't think that we have any nearby, like any communities. You could either A, have liars, or it could be that it's like shipped from someplace else. I think there are different Amish communities throughout the U.S. I just quickly Googled it. And according to Reddit, we have Amish snowbirds somewhere in Sunny Slope, but I don't buy it. I've never heard of an Amish snowbird. This is set in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, correct? So that's my family goes up there relatively frequently. I mean, in a, in a non-COVID world, we spend New Year's Day up there. And then we also typically go up every little few months because there's outlets and stuff like that. But there's also little Amish shops and you'll see the Amish in their buggies bibbidi-bopping down the road. Sure be bopping and as a kid when i was in girl scouts there's like the amish experience where like they give you like a tour and talk about amish people and like growing up i don't know where i got this belief but i had the belief that amish people thought that you were stealing their soul if you took their photo okay i think that's a different group of people i think that that group does exist but i don't think it's amish i don't know i felt it very truly and there's a photo of linda and i was like you know i've been holding on to this belief for a very long time and it doesn't feel accurate so we looked it up before recording and it's interesting because it seemed as though from what we saw on amishamerica.com that it's not that necessarily they, they're morally against having their photo taken. It's more what that might mean for them, right? So like they don't pose for photos because it seems prideful and vain and that's very against their belief structure. Yeah. However, interestingly, if it's pictures of children, it's different because children aren't baptized in their church yet. I'm not sure at what age they are baptized. So for Linda, it may have been strange since she's 18. Maybe, yeah. I, it's probably an older photo from what I would imagine. But it's just interesting because it's like, yeah, I mean, no one's teaching you about Amish people in America. But we have this whole subsect of people who live in a much different, a much different lifestyle than we do technology wise. Yeah, I find it interesting, though. It is interesting. They call us English and they speak a different language in addition to English. It's known as Pennsylvania German or Pennsylvania Dutch. It's a different dialect, which would make sense if you you know, were speaking German in another country for decades and decades and decades. Fascinating. I, I think it's a very interesting culture to hear about, especially because it's such a stark contrast to us. Also, like any reality TV show that has Amish people or where they're talking about Rumspringa, I'm like, I'm already in. I don't care what it is. I'm like, tell me about your Rumspringa shenanigans. From everything like I've seen in terms of what Amish people wear, it's like black and a solid color. 
And it's like skirt, bonnet. My only point here was that it's interesting that she would have like fancier church clothes because vanity isn't really prevalent there. So I thought it would be interesting that she would have a different set of clothes that she would wear to youth group. I wonder if it was just like older. I would think maybe just to keep them clean. Like youth group, maybe they were, it was at a farm, right? So maybe they were doing chores. Oh my God. Could you imagine? You're like, let's hang out and do chores. I mean, I don't know, but I would just, I mean, when you do things on a farm, normally you're working, right? Yeah. And I had read somewhere too, even like before she left the church, I want to say she was doing dishes or something with some of the other girls. So I feel like it's like a lot of work. What a fun time. Yeah. I mean, it very much is a you work kind of culture. Yeah. So back to, you know, the police thinking she ran away. Her family was like, no, she didn't. She was she was happy. Right. And they had to. It's it's kind of sad that families, no matter what the upbringing is, is having to beg for help. You know, when when their loved ones disappeared, because we saw this again in Texas Killing Fields, where all the police seem to be like, oh, it's a young girl. They ran away. And it's just sad that this continues recently. So the family is trying to convince law enforcement, no, she indeed did not run away. And then there was a hunt to find where Linda had gone. Now, here's another odd thing that happened. A neighbor saw a red sedan driving around the area that they had not seen before. And get this, there was surveillance footage from a home on her way to her house. So she had to pass this home. And it shows a man in a red sedan get out and put something over her head. From the probable cause affidavit, Detective Eelman then observed a lone person, believed to be Linda Stolfus, walking on Beachdale Road, which would be in the direction that Linda would have been walking home at that time. A second person, believed to be Husto Smoker, then appears in the camera view from where the vehicle pulled off and observed to be crossing on foot from the west side of Beachdale Road across the road towards the person wearing white at 1241. After encountering Linda, there appears to be motion towards the head area of Stofu's consistent with placing something over her head. The two of them then walked back across the street to the same area where he had pulled off. How terrifying is that? So that's only a few minutes, you know, like that's less than 15 minutes after leaving church that this happened. And there's video, there's freaking video of someone getting abducted. Can you imagine how horrifying and just this whole situation it was? Yeah. And then also a little bit further down in the probable cause affidavit, there is an account from a woman named Sarah Stolfus. And so she said that she had saw the red sedan and that she said, quote, Sarah noticed the Amish female was wearing a white apron and a black head covering. Sarah then waved at the Amish female who did not wave back. Sarah indicated that in Amish churches and that area, they do not wear black head coverings. She further noted that it was highly unusual for an Amish female to be riding in a vehicle wearing her church clothing. Okay. Yeah. And she even noted like it was strange that she didn't wave back. Yeah. Like especially like a community member not waving back. Right. Yeah. Very strange. So this is a bit different because now we have, you know, information. We knew that this person was driving the red Kia Rio, had black trim, had a spoiler, had a sticker on the trunk. We had all the information. But at this point, still no Linda. So Houston Smoker was apprehended for Linda's disappearance. So what the family and members of the community did is they created a Facebook page to share the information, hoping for Linda's return there. It's different from normal because we have we have the person that did it, but we don't have a body very quick. So there were rewards offered. 
There was lots and lots of searches done. There was a lot of group prayers done. Members of the community were helping as much as they could. Again, it kind of sounds like Texas Killing Fields, where like people were dedicating time and efforts to help this family, which is amazing. So when I mentioned he was apprehended, it was July 11, 2021. They announced that Houston Smoker was charged with the disappearance. And it was because of a couple things. The surveillance footage, which is a big one. And then also what they found is his cell phone pings, which again, we've seen this already. The cell phones tell exactly where you are almost to the foot, right? Like they know exactly where you are based off of the cell phone pings, which is incredible. So originally, they found some of her clothing. They found her bra and stockings. But again, still no Linda. It's believed later that he had moved her at one point, which is disgusting and horrible. So finally, 10 months later, on April 21st, 2021, Linda's remains were found near where he worked. Gross. Linda was found wrapped in a tarp on railroad property. Officials think that he did kill her pretty quick after abducting her within a few hours. When they were doing all these searches, too, they had already searched that area and it was hard to get to. So they've, they had to go to that area twice and then she was there afterwards. And again, it was all thanks to cell phone data. They believe, too, when they had found her bronze stockings, they believe she was there first and then he moved just her. I want to say, too, that they found his DNA on some of her clothing, which Mm -hmm. also, you know, is going to be good in that case. Yeah. The coroner says that she died of strangulation, but not only was she strangled, she was also stabbed in the neck. And her body was confirmed through dental records. And I did see some posts from whoever runs that Facebook group that pretty quickly after finding the body, they believed it was her. And then they just had to basically confirm it. Yeah. And then earlier just this week, which was really sad, they were finally able to lay her to rest at the Myers Cemetery burial grounds. Looks like it was a big thing with the community, with the surrounding area as well. It's good that they finally got some closure and they have the body, but it's just in a different order. Took a long time for them to find her, but I'm so glad that they were able to find the person responsible relatively quickly. Yeah, they knew something happened, but it's sad that they didn't know what happened. And I know there was a point in time where they're like, it's been this long. Yeah. She's probably deceased. Yeah. But still having that in your head of maybe we'll find her alive versus, yeah, after they found her clothing. You know, it's just, it's heartbreak for the poor family. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we have one of our recurrent cases that we talk about in our True Crime Digest, and that is the cases of Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell. So we have a a few different things to cover this time. But it's been relatively less eventful, I would say, in terms of like filings and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a couple interesting ones from this past week. Yes, 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 yes. So it's interesting because Amanda and I are in many a Facebook group about various cases. And for one of the Laurie Vallow and Chad Daybell Facebook groups that we're in, someone shared that they think that Laurie and Chad knew each other as far back as 2017 because they used to go camping all together and that they saw them there knowing each other. Which contradicts what we thought before, which is they met in 2018. Right. And that was Melanie Gibb that said that originally when they met. Yes. And the thing is, I don't trust her. And so the family that mentioned seeing them also said that they had heard strange and peculiar sounds that night that were unnerving. Like what? Which I'm like, tell me everything. Like, what were you hearing? That's terrifying. Yes. I can't even imagine what the strange and peculiar sounds were. 
but I don't know if I want to know. I do. I do. I do want to know. So another interesting thing that took place this month is Annie Cushing had a live YouTube video and it lasted almost four hours. It was a lot of information, a lot of questions and a lot of pictures. So what she was reviewing is the death of her brother, Joseph Ryan. And she's been pretty vocal about wanting the death of her brother to be reinvestigated. And obviously for a good reason. She has every right to. Uh, She has a petition going around too. If you haven't checked out that petition, you can sign that petition to get that investigation reopened. But what she did during this live is she went through picture by picture of Joe's apartment that were taken after his death. And she received them from Garna Miha. And she does not want any of these pictures shared by anyone. So we will not be showing these photos. I recommend going to her YouTube channel if you do want to see them. There's a lot. And then on top of that, she did create a Facebook group to discuss Joe's photos and to have kind of like a closed space to discuss this case. However, She asked that none of this be shared outside of the group. So we are going to be respecting the group. We are not going to be sharing anything that we see in that group. If you want to be a part of that discussion and you want to see these photos, the group's name is Annie Cushing's Cool Cats and Criminals. Love it. Adorable. But again, we are part of the group, but we will not be discussing anything that's within the group. One of the big things that she did mention in her live is that she doesn't see his phone in any of the photos, which is interesting. And I mean, I looked through, there's some where I'm like, maybe that's a phone. I don't know. There's a couple questions that came up through it. Annie also was sharing a lot of stories about her and Lori, including how Lori asked her to go through photo albums that smelled like death. That was a particularly rough experience that she recounted. She talks about this in her live and you could just tell like it was thinking in that something was very wrong with Laurie because what kind of person asked someone to do that? Mm -mm. No. And then didn't she bring up to something about wanting one of the photos? Yeah, I think we may have discussed this previously, but just in case we haven't, the Ryan siblings were put into foster care, so they didn't grow up together. So there's very few photos that exist of them as a family. And one of the photos was in the album and she asked Laurie for it. And she was like, I would really appreciate this. And Laurie was like, no, I want Tyler to have it. I don't think she has many photos of her and her siblings. And Laurie was like, no. That's ridiculous. Those can be reprinted too. You know, just that. Sure. Just send me a copy someday. Yeah. Where is the uh, empathy for what Annie Cushing was going through too? Exactly. Disgusting. But it's a long live, but it was interesting. Yeah. And she was also very interactive. It wasn't just her talking for a long time and no, everyone listening. It was like she had questions that people had submitted that she was answering and she was having a conversation. And in the group, what I like is that it very much is a dialogue. And she even said she wants people to like look at the photos to see if they see things that are different than what she saw. How many people do you know would be like, I'm going to start a Facebook group to discuss these crime scene photos because what if I miss something? Like it's it's a, a healthy dose of like humility to be like, I'm asking for help in a way mm-hmm. that I can handle it. You know what I mean? I just I feel like it's a yeah a classy way to handle it, if you will. Oh, it is definitely. And she's lost a lot because I've seen a lot of people curious as to why she's so invested in this case. And I'm like, it, it's her brother one. Yeah. That could have been murdered and then two that's still her niece yes she has feelings for her niece it's okay to have feelings for her niece even if they didn't talk every day yeah i mean you know no one's experience is anybody else's experience and family dynamics are diverse and to act as though someone should act a certain way because of your opinion of them is ridiculous it absolutely is yeah 
So next, there were several filings, not as many as previous months, where I was like combing through like dozens of things like, what's this? What's this? What's this? But for this month, there were a few. So they really had kind of like or three different themes, if you will. One had to do with discovery, where there was a little bit of a spat about whether some documents had been given to the defense. The prosecution provided a, a list of when they were provided. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So kind of like nip that in the bud there's also some scheduling notices one for the june 9th change of venue which we talked about last month yeah but there was also an emergency hearing regarding dna evidence and so let's get into that a little bit because that was i feel like the juiciest bit of of court drama that we have from this month it was yeah for sure on april 21st rob wood sent correspondence to mark means and john pryor stating that He wanted to use DNA testing that was considered consumptive DNA testing. And I had never heard of it called that. No. But it's it's very simple what it is. It's a DNA test where what they use will will just deplete the sample. It'll just be done. Oh, okay. And so it's interesting because you have a finite amount of samples. You expect that everybody's going to get an equal amount. But I just don't think that that's really realistic. No, you can't say we're going to have six samples. Yeah, you get what you get. So, well, that's hard to wrap your head around, too. Just once it's out, it's out. And you have to do it intelligently. Finding which test to use with that limited amount is stressful to me. Well, also, like, that's definitely something that if the case is appealed, if there's a mistrial, if they say that there was improper handling, that can ruin a case. But so in response... To Rob Wood's correspondence, John Pryor requested an emergency hearing for the court. And he did this because he wanted the court to order the prosecution and their testing agency, which is the state lab, to not conduct any further testing until half of the remaining DNA samples can be provided to the defense for independent testing. Like you can't say there's only enough for one test and go, but I want half. You can't have half of a DNA sample that you need all of to use. That doesn't make any sense. So also, Pryor wanted the state to allow access to the defense's DNA expert to review the lab and their the way that they analyze the DNA. He also wanted the state to provide any documentation and reporting on DNA analysis or evidence relating to DNA of evidence. And not surprisingly, Mark Means was like, what he said and another thing. And so... <laughs> I genuinely enjoy reading Mark Means filings because (laughs) you do. Yeah, because they're always going to be petty. I just think it's like rants of a lunatic normally. (laughs) They're just petty. So in this, he was like, (laughs) he talks about he's like Rob Wood's midnight correspondence. (laughs) (laughs) and i was like okay but like does that mean that it came at midnight or that you're saying it was at the last minute and (laughs) he's like i don't remember but one of them yeah i was just like what 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 are you what are you trying to say with this like fancy rhetoric and so then he says that the wood has been improperly ccing the court on all his communications that rob wood has been and generally communications between the prosecution and the defense or like say plaintiff defendant and civil it's common that they'll communicate outside of the court like they should right like oh my gosh could you imagine them having to babysit every single email no and so (laughs) 
It's interesting that Wood's doing it. I don't know why he is. But Means argues that the reason why Wood is doing it is to avoid any potential allegations of a Brady violation. Just really quick, a Brady violation is when the state has exculpatory evidence and they don't provide it to the defense. Exculpatory evidence is evidence that could prove innocence. So they're saying that he's scientist of the law. That's Lindsay. I am a scientist. <laughs> uh, but I'm not because I don't practice. But I do know how to read it because I passed the bar. It counts. So he's basically saying, like, you're like preemptively being like, I didn't do the thing, which, okay, again, petty. He also says, and this is this is where it gets a little juicier. Mean says that he's seeing the court in their communications with one another would make the court a potential witness in future litigation. What litigation, Marky Mark? What litigation? Every time someone does anything he doesn't like, he's like, we're going to sue about it. And I'm not saying that like that's not typical, right? Because you have to be a zealous advocate for your client. You legitimately have to do that or you can get in trouble. But in the same respect... Say less, my dude. There's a certain part where you just start coming across unprofessional. My favorite thing is his tweets, by the way. Just saying. I mean, no, he he also, he's firing his tweets. The man has a lot to say. So one of the things that was great <laughs> about Mark's response was, you like how he's Mark now? We're first name basis. Mark. Marky Mark. BFFs. <laughs> BF- I don't know about that. Calm down. So in his filing, he's like, and here's the receipts. So he includes all the information. So he includes like the letters that were sent back and forth where there's a CC and all these things. And so, okay, some of the correspondence between the two of them isn't about the DNA. It's about discovery requests. And they're saying like, you haven't given us everything. And it's in Rob Wood's response that he says, are you ready? This is from April 15th letter. Mm -hmm. The Fremont County prosecutor has not and will not provide Tammy Daybell's autopsy report to Wood. The prosecution's not getting her autopsy. And I have seen like the internet of flutter. Yeah. And it's like just in the most basic of terms, this case has nothing to do with Tammy Daybell. Therefore, it's irrelevant. Right. Also, just like Lindsay Blake, Fremont County prosecutor is not having it with this mess. No. I feel like. I have nothing to prove that, but I would just imagine if I was them, I would be like, you can keep this hot mess of a wreck over there. Like your reality TV (laughs) court case, keep it over there. I'm building something less drama filled and boring that is just gonna like have justice for Tammy (laughs) because y'all are messing it up for JJ and Tylee. Yeah. So I'm going to have to find a murder charge that can carry all of this. (laughs) Be the parent. Yeah. Yeah, I'm completely making this up. I'm just speculating wildly, but I would love for someone who has the same first name as me to just be just the best in this queen, queen, queen of (laughs) the law. (laughs) Fair. Yeah, I'm honestly happy with that, Uh that it's it is going to be completely separate because then they can't. I'm thinking of like mistrial or putting things in someone else's head about a completely different potential murder. Right. Done a different way. Done beforehand. Done separately. Maybe even done by different people. It's completely different. Yeah. In a case where the prosecutor is already under scrutiny for having improper witness conversations. For the love of God. Mm hmm. Do not add more saucy (laughs) evidence, which could be talked about with people who shouldn't have a conversation about it. 
moving forward. Also included in Mark's April 22nd response was he said that the state's exclusive DNA testing of evidence would unconstitutionally handicap the defense. And I don't know if you're noticing a pattern, but anytime he doesn't get what he wants, he's like... (laughs) It's unconstitutional. I like your means voice, by the way, your marked voice. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I'll say like, you can't see me, but Amanda can, but I have like my, my jaws like broken left top teeth or to the left bottom teeth or to the right it's a very specific face when i speak from you got to get into that mindset the mark mindset yeah i want you to i want you to get where i am i don't have a skull like a cow skull behind me to prove that i'm the manliest of men but i feel like my my weird accent gets it across anywho so he anytime he doesn't like what the court says or anything Wood's going to do. He's like, but just so you know, it's unconstitutional. And I'm like, please stop saying that. You you keep saying that like you understand what it means. That's the biggest word he knows, Lindsay. It very well might be. But every time he says it, it makes me think he understands what it means less. Fair. It is pretty common that, as far as I'm aware, that the state will conduct DNA testing. Sometimes that will take all the DNA. Like, if you had to pick the random person the defense is going to choose or the state lab for DNA. Yeah. One of these we know is accredited. Mm -hmm. Accredited and then also impartial. Yes. Yes. They're not getting paid to do this. So anywho. And also, we'll get to it in a moment. We'll we'll get to the next part in a moment. But so heavy sigh for Marky Mark and the drama that he always brings. This has nothing to do with anything. But Amanda just sent me this tweet. And it's... This is what he's spending his time outside the case doing. So it's just to give you the mindset of Mark Means. So there is a Fox News like infographic where, you know, they use their fear tactics, blah, blah, blah. But it says it's titled Up in Your Grill. It says Biden's climate requirements cut 90% of red meat from diet, max four pounds per year, one burger per month. Like we're going to have the Hamburglar come in and like take stock of how much beef you're buying. It'll average out, kids. I'm sure someone's already made Biden the Hamburglar. I'm sure. If they haven't, chop, chop. If you're listening and if you're inclined, please, anyone really, a Biden Hamburglar. But so it says, Biden Harris wants to take away your carne asada, ropa vieja, carne matata, empanada meat, burgers, practically writes itself for 24. And Donald Trump fucking Jr., which like, he's already like the diet Dr. Pib of humans. Like he's not even the brand name version of it. (laughs) And he said, I'm pretty sure I ate four pounds of red meat yesterday. That's going to be a hard note for me. Are you okay? He's probably dying of a heart attack right now. Is he okay? Don't get me wrong. Like I love some beef, love a steak. Four pounds in a day? Four pounds feels a bit heavy for me for Is he a competitive eater? Is that what they're up to now? But anyway, the whole point of this is that Mark Means says, you take my cheese space burgers away and you take the American soul. Exclamation point space winky face, but not an emoji like the just like a semicolon and a closed parentheses exclamation point. And I have so many burns. The first of which is cheeseburgers is one word, my dude. Like that's the first one. He had to fix that in his phone. Okay, Mark Means. I'm dying a little. Okay. Mark Means. I just wanted you to understand Mark Means more. And I think that that tweet just tells you everything you need to know. Can I tell you my fear real quick? Yes. What if this is a facade that he's playing and then he's going to get in that courtroom and he's going to wear his big boy suit and he's going to like run it? 
No, because, okay, that is a valid concern. So far, he seems arrogant enough to try that, right? To think like, oh, I can be chill and then I'll come in guns blazing, right? But we've talked about it a little bit before. Once you get to the trial, you're performing for the jury. All of the big questions on how this trial is going to go have already been answered. Like, what evidence is going to be allowed in? Who's going to testify? I don't think he's going to. It was more just uh, put that image in your head and it makes me kind of giggle. I went to his website like a goddamn fool and it says honest treatment, clear advice, smart strategies. He just Googled buzzwords. This is the weirdest website I've ever seen in my life. I mean, obviously, it's no Vans hardware, but... (laughs) I was going to say, (laughs) ma'am. But there's like a man fishing. I'm assuming it's Mark. It doesn't really make sense. At one point, there's the front of a boat. I'm not a boat scientist. It's a boat part. And there's like mountains... I also want to tell you, too, I think, I think I could be wrong. They, I can't see their profile. Means family, and it looks like him in the itty-bitty picture I can see. Means family follows me on Instagram, but won't allow me to follow them back. Means. Means. I thought we were friends. Marky, Mark, we are on a first name basis. Look. Go ahead and request it again for the 19th time. Do it again. Do it again. Because I'm thinking he's listening to this, obviously, because he cares about us. Like... We are grade A news right here. But all that shit about me talking about you being petty. (laughs) I never said petty was a bad thing. I can be very petty. You didn't even notice the tongue in cheek remark I made earlier. But if you know, you know. (laughs) Amanda's laughing. Okay. Anywho, let's keep going. So. Of course, Rob Wood filed a response for the motion for an emergency hearing. He reminded everyone that when updated or new discoverable reports are received, they're given to the defendants as they receive them. The state lab has had serious backlogs because of COVID, understandable. And they had reached out to Wood and said one of these samples would require consumptive testing, which is why Wood then reached out to the defense. So it's not like they were like, okay, we're doing this. Hurry, hurry, hurry before they're they're wise, right? And just as a note, That specific test result was, quote, blood from an apartment. What does that mean? There's there's a few apartments in the story. And there's some blood. Yeah, we don't know which apartment. Yeah, maybe there's more. Wood even said in his response that he would be willing to facilitate the defense's DNA experts meeting with the state lab to review the samples and their procedures, so long as he gave them the contact information within 14 days. But so I'm sure you're wondering what other DNA evidence was found, because for me, that's all I was like, DNA evidence, go on. This is the first I'm hearing about it. They had collected tools from the Daybell property and there was debris on them that had DNA. My mind goes to what they used on Tylee and it's grotesque and horrible, but that's where my mind goes. My mind went to just to burying generally, just just a, a burial, because from what I understand, what happened to Tylee was disgusting and grotesque and i think they would have had more than a couple samples if it was for anything more than burial maybe i don't know we'll find out eventually and this dna isn't news by any stretch of the mind this was collected a long time ago and it's in an evidence bag labeled valo daybell 006828 and it's just been waiting at the crime lab for so long because lower staff rates people being out yeah the world is where it is right now yeah so the emergency hearing was scheduled for today actually just a couple hours before we recorded today is april 28th yes it actually it was supposed to start at what was six my time but i read four and was like i'm off of work four o'clock hearing where is it and amanda's like Lindsay, time and i was like ah time so it was 4 p.m in idaho and 
it was didn't start on time. It was started maybe like 20 minutes after. A lot of them are like that. You're just like, please start. But so they said that they had discussed the matter off the record before the hearing and that all parties had agreed to see if this could be resolved via stipulation and that in order to do this, they would need more details from the state lab and that the state lab would hold off on any consumptive testing in the meantime. Just wild speculation. I'm hoping that this means that they're going to send DNA experts in to review, like, how is this done so they can agree with everything? Or maybe and maybe they hold hands and they do it together. I don't know how that works, but some type of cooperative. Yeah, I feel like they need they need the experts. Someone who has dealt with crimes similar to this mm-hmm. that can say, hey, this is what we need to run. You have X amount left. This is what we have the ability to run. Just someone from the outside, I feel like, could make better choices. Agreed. And and Rob Wood even says, he's like, the state lab will do this at no additional cost for either party. Like, you don't have to pay for this. This is a free option, my guys. And Mark Means response, unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. Stop CCing people. I don't like you and don't wear brown. He never said that last part, but I could see him saying it. Well, he didn't say any of this. Oh, no. Just us being terrible people. <laughs> I mean, he he did say some of it. He did say don't CC the court. Anywho. Well, I know, but I'm saying <laughs> he didn't just email them unconstitutional. Oh, he, you mean he didn't he didn't stomp his foot and scream it like a toddler? Yeah, no, I mean. He does that in private. Technically, he didn't. Yeah. Okay, so this wraps up our Lori Val and Chad Daybell updates. We've mentioned it before. We're going to mention it again. We have a section on our website, if you don't know. It's truecreeps.com. If you click on ongoing cases, there's a section for Laurie Vallow and Chad Daybell. We have a case timeline and we also have a little glossary of key players in the case where it's listed alphabetically, but you can also do like a little search function. So if you're trying to yeah. get a hold on who the many people of this case are, I think it's a good source. We've tried to be as robust as possible. Amanda was way more familiar with this case when we first started covering it on True Creeps. And so I was trying to catch up and I was like, who's this person? Who's that person? Who's this person? Like over and over. <laughs> and I'm like, Melanie with an I. Alex, that's a brother. Like I had to like remember because there's so many people. And then it's hard. Yeah. Like she's got a brother named Adam. And I was like, okay, these I was like, can't you just do different first letters? Like, please, I beg of you. So I think it's a helpful resource, especially if you're new to the case or maybe you're just really into it. And you want to take a look either way. Yeah. And we look at it quite a bit. So if you review it and you're like, hey, this person's missing. I've gone through it a lot. Lindsay's gone through it a lot. If you find someone that's missing, shoot us an email. We'd love to add them. Yeah. Okay. So our last case that we're going to talk about today has to do with Taryn Summer and her siblings. And this one's a horribly sad case too. Yes. Anytime it involves children, like my heart just like, yeah, gets heavier. And so this case, you could think of it as maybe developing over time because there's some things that happened in 2020 and then things that happened recently as well. So since September of 2020, there were three siblings that have gone missing from their legal guardian's home. And initial news articles didn't even know if the three were related, but they had just lived together. Their guardian was their grandmother, and her name is Connie Ann Smith. The first child is Tristan Sexton, 17, and he was last seen September 10th of 2020. Taylor Summers, who was 14, was last seen on October 19th, 2020. And lastly, Taryn Summers, who was only eight years old, and she was last seen April 12th, 2021. Yeah. Which when you say last seen date with a little girl, it just breaks my heart. I don't like that. Yeah. 
Connie reported Taryn as a runaway on April 12th, 2021. Alarm bells. Sorry. I don't know about you, but but when I think of an eight-year-old running away, running away is going to the friend's house for an hour and then freaking out and coming home. Yeah. Or running around the block, you know, like a backpack full of books where they walk to the end of the driveway and they come back. A 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, maybe... Like, I don't know. And we'll get into it in a second. But like, they didn't have a lovely start to their life. So like, it seems like they've been having some issues for a while. So the older ones, like, it's not altogether surprising that they may have run away because they didn't like being with their legal guardian. And the reason why they weren't with their mother, because a lot of people go, why aren't they with their mother or father? Yeah. Well, Taylor, Taryn, and younger siblings all tested positive in 2019 for hard drugs. So sad. And so their mother was convicted for that. So on the last day that Taryn was seen on April 12th, Connie was seen driving her black Lexus with Taryn sleeping in the back. When they got home, Connie carried Taryn to her bedroom. And so that's like the last you know right there. Subsequently, there's a search of Connie's property and it's a joint effort between law enforcement. It was Idaho State Police, Gem County Sheriff's Office, FBI and U.S. Marshals. And when you say Idaho again... Yep. You already brought it up earlier. But now I'm like, Idaho State Police. Mm -hmm. They interviewed Lori Vallow and she played the, oh, no, I'm just a frantic mother that's doing a lot all at once. And they're like, oh, so sorry to bother you. And it's just like, I kind of cringe now. I will say that I think in a situation where there's like two children that are missing already and with Vallow hanging over their heads. That's true. Like a little more cautious because, I mean, it's, it's pretty quick after... They report her missing, that they're like, mm, something strange. So search teams use drones. They also use dogs to search the property. Per the probable cause affidavit for uh, to arrest Connie, it says TS, not Taryn Summer. But it says when police got to her house, they noticed a piece of carpet was missing in Taryn's bedroom. Never a good sign. Which like, again, never a good sign. And Connie said that Taryn had defecated on the carpet. And so she pulled it up and burned it. Because that's what normal people do. Yeah. I mean, like I, again, don't have children, but I have animals. And if they go to the bathroom on something, I generally don't forcibly remove it and set it on fire. I clean it. Yeah, that. And she's eight years old. It's probably very unlikely that that happened. Yeah. I mean, I think from and we'll, we'll get to it, but I think that she maybe had like some type of stomach something going on because from what I had read, I got the vibe that she was sick. But so Taryn was made to stay in her bedroom as a punishment. I'm not sure for what. And so on April 14th, when the forensic team went to Connie's house, they found blood on the wall. They also found Taryn's vomit covered body that was in a black trash bag on the floor of the backseat of Connie's black Lexus. How absolutely horrible, disgusting. Yes. Incredibly sad is that. It's it's incredibly sad. It's also terrifying to think there's two older kids here, right? Like there's two older kids. Like if you could do this to an eight-year-old, like a sweet baby eight-year-old. And I have read so much about Taryn that she was like this sweet girl and so nice. I mean, even if she wasn't, she didn't deserve this. But I've heard that she's just like this kind and caring kid. And I've seen online where someone shared like a letter that Taryn had written to her daughter. And it was like, I hope you had a great Christmas break. And it was just like so sweet and kind. Just like an eight-year-old kid. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have been sharing a lot of uh, memories. They also have Facebook groups for this particular case as well. Yeah. And so law enforcement states they do not believe that Tristan or Taylor, Taryn's older siblings, are in danger because their families have been in contact with them. In these Facebook groups, I've seen people be like, 
yeah prove it like and like kind of in an uproar like how do we know how do we know and honestly like i think that distrust with the law enforcement says they're fine is coming from the Vallow case i think so is because they waited so long right to like really really freak out about jj entirely where if they just would have listened sooner maybe something different would have happened there's one reporter who's been, I think, very involved so far. She's actually in the group that Amanda and I are in. Her name's Emery Moore of Idaho News. And she interviewed Gary Rainey. And he's a former county sheriff in Ada County. And she was like, what are your what are your thoughts on the older kids? Why do you think that maybe they aren't coming? The kids aren't coming forward or family members that they're staying with aren't coming forward. Like, what do you think's going on? And he said, yeah, well, hypothetically, in this case, maybe the family members who are helping those children have information about the homicide or there's any number of interrelations that could be occurring between the two other children. So maybe the children know something. Maybe they're with a family member who they're afraid of getting in trouble. That's true. You know, if there's an arrest warrant out on you, you're not going to be like, yoo-hoo, I got the kids. Like, you don't know what's going on. I'm not trying to say anything bad about, like, the people who the kids are staying with or yeah, if they're staying with anybody. It's just more like there doesn't have to be a nefarious reason. It just might be that they're trying to protect the children. That's hope. I've also seen rumors that maybe all of the children were found that day, which I can't imagine that they would release the fact that Taryn died. And not the others. And not the other two. Like, there's no, there's no reason to do that. No reason at all. So I think that's kind of like a vile rumor to spread, honestly. Why would you say that? Don't say that. Yeah. But see, I also still come from that skeptical portion as well, only because remember back when Tylee and JJ were still missing and their grandmother was like, oh, I spoke to JJ on the phone this day. Here's my phone record that we had this call. And you're like, maybe, maybe she didn't mean it as lying. Maybe she really thought that was the day that they spoke. I don't know. Yeah. Now I'm hesitant, like, oh, people are saying that they spoke with them. Do they really know what date it was? You know, I don't know. That's just where I'm coming from now. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's fair. No, that's completely fair. And also, like, regardless of whatever other circumstances there are, these are two teenagers whose eight-year-old sister is dead. It's horrible. And it's horrible and it's unfair. And if you're running away from home, I would imagine there's something wrong. I think that most of the people who were like, tell us they're okay. It's coming from like a place of like, we want to make sure you're okay because we're recognizing that this isn't an okay situation for you. And that 17 is awfully close to 18, but you're a kid, right? Even if Tristan was 18, I'd be like, you're a kid. It's, it's a lot for a kid to handle and folks just want to make sure they're okay. But so there was a vigil for Taryn. And at the vigil, her family members, quote, classified her as a victim of extreme child abuse. And they pondered how, why, and wondering what they could have done to help. That's sad. If they didn't know, they didn't know. I mean, this sounds like they knew, though. They might have known maybe she was strict because I've seen a lot of stories where they're like, they were very strict. But then when you look on the inside, what strict meant in that household, it's child abuse. Yeah, that's true. That's very, very true. I don't know. I don't know what they knew, but just my guess. And then this next detail rings a lot like JJ to me. So Taryn went to Shadow Butte Elementary School, but she was withdrawn by her grandmother to be homeschooled after Christmas. And see, that's a tough one, too, lately, only because a lot of people are pulling their kids to homeschool them. So it probably didn't stick out. Absolutely. But like when you put it, Idaho child who was hurt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. The age, like all of it. So originally, Connie was charged with first degree murder. Then her charges were changed to felony failure to notify a death, felony destruction, alteration or concealment of evidence. And then there's also been like notes that there's likely more charges that are coming. 
So far, she only faces like 10 years for felony failure to notify a death and then five years for the concealment of evidence. Her preliminary hearing is scheduled for May 3rd. And the judge on this one is Judge Tyler Smith. I believe that she recently changed her counsel, which was Joshua Taylor, to a public defender. And then also, it sounds like very short sentencing because there's no murder charge yet. Yes. Yes. And so that's all we know for this one so far. This is definitely going to be one where we continue to update on has there been any concrete proof provided on whether Tristan and Taylor are okay, and then how the charges play out with Connie, as well as I'm sure we're going to find out more information. From what I looked at, I did not see the name of a younger sibling, but I think that there was another child. So we might be hearing more about what was going on in the home as well. Yeah. Sad. It's very, very sad. So we say to an all of our True Crime Digests, if there's a case that you're interested in that you would like us to cover, feel free to, you can shoot us an email. You can even tag us on posts on whatever social media you're on. Yeah. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you see a TikTok you like, shoot it to us on Instagram or somewhere. You know how to find us, but let us know if there's a case you want us to cover and we'll bring it on in. We also want to take a moment and thank our patrons. We've got a few going now and we really, really, really appreciate it. Up until now, Amanda and I have been paying to make a podcast for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. (laughs) Because... Which like, yeah, you know, that's our decision and our hobby and our love and we love to do it. But, you know, we have editing software and we pay to host it and we have a website and all the things. And so it's nice to be able to fund all of it. And we really, really appreciate all of our Patreons. And as a special bonus thank you this month, check your mail because you have a little extra something coming your way. Yeah, because we just love you. And if you are not a member of our Patreon yet, head over to our website, check it out. We have a lot of different tiers available. They start at a dollar. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We're pretty interactive with them. We have our own private Facebook group where they've brought up cases and even one of them we plan on covering now. So thank you again, patrons. Yeah. And so with that, we'll see you next week. Thanks for creeping with us. Thank you for listening to Cruel Creep. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. 